0: How late are we gonna? No, no, I know, but. Oh, we're live? Fine, cool. all the
1: time. Grab your fluffy parkas because it's a frosty atmosphere in the DS to Cheetah press conference. I'm Stuart Garlick from Motion E, and I'll be running over today's race, the second of six at Tempelhof, with motorsport journalist Aurora Del Alli, along with a look at Formula E's problematic new positively charged campaign. This is Berlin Watch. Aurora, thank you very much for coming on tonight's podcast. Um, First of all, did you enjoy the race?
2: Thank you very much for having me, Stuart. Um, I think today's race was um, plenty of entertainment as usual, but not quite as much as I would expect from Formula E in, you know, normal racing conditions, but also I think that What we've seen today and we will continue to see maybe getting some more action in the later stages of this uh, nine-day racing spree um, is because of the fact that, I mean, nobody really wants to damage the car massively and it's only understandable. So. We're not seeing that hard racing that we've seen in the past in Formula E. But I mean, the the, the timing constraints are completely different and nobody wants to overwork uh, the 20 people have every team as uh, available in Berlin. So I think it's on par from what I'd expect from these races.
1: OK. And um, I, I think uh, obviously we saw a do- another dominant cost of victory and it's kind of almost boring to talk about that because three in a row now. But um, behind him, I think we saw the resurgence of Nissan. This is the first time that they've looked properly on that front running pace uh, since they got that new powertrain, isn't it?
2: I mean we were always expecting something to come out of Nissan at some point to be honest but I think that this season and also the previous season what uh, Nissan lacked enorm- enormously was actually consistency. Uh, they've been a bit lacking in that because I don't think they're really they have always put their drivers in a condition to fight for the positions they deserve. I think that both Buemi, of course, I mean, is a championship winner, but also Oliver Rowland is an an amazing addition to the Formula E paddock. So it's actually great. Like even from a, you know, sporting standpoint, it's great when Nissan does good because they have the drivers and they have the resources to always do well.
1: Yeah, and uh, Buemi, I think, remains uh, one of the uh, top three drivers in Formula E on ability, in my opinion. Um, but uh, uh, but behind him, um, would you say the driver who had the best race in terms of uh, uh, relative to his qualifying was Stoffel van Dorn, Because he, he was making up spades on the rest of the field towards the end, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And even yesterday, we saw how van Dorn was able to make quite an impressive back to be honest and uh you know these types of you know 10 positions five position comebacks are pretty common in formulary e normally uh, we've seen them in the past but not as much in these two previous races so i think that van dorn's um effort both in race one and race two stands out even more because we haven't seen much from other drivers in this sense and he's been able to shine where the breeze i mean it wasn't necessarily his fault But uh, I think that Soffo was actually suffering a bit from, uh, you know, being compared to De which has done an amazing job. Nonetheless, he's his first year in Formula E and he's already fighting for podium positions and stuff. Uh, But yeah, I think these type of comebacks are really, you know, boosting Van Dorn's confidence in this regard.
1: Yeah, and uh, talking of De Vries, um, he obviously performed well at the beginning of the race, but uh, he's gaining quite a reputation uh, for being the blocker of Formula E. I, I wouldn't say that he, he's the only one. He's maybe the one who gets on TV and does it more. Um, Edo Mortara was also blamed by jean Eric Verne for allegedly doing the same thing, but he wasn't filmed in doing it, so got away with it. Um, but De, De Vries, um, maybe it's because he comes straight from Formula 2, but uh, and you know, uh, generally Formula 2 who seems to breed that kind of tactic, but he seems to be the one who is getting a bad name almost for these dives and blocks, isn't he? Why do you think that is?
2: Definitely, I think it boils down to his racecraft, as you will saying is coming directly from Formula 2. It's a completely different type of racing. Even though probably, you know, in this type of single-seater series, uh, Formula Two is the most similar thing we have to Formula E, but of course they never almost never race in straight circuits. I think never actually Formula Two. And you know, adapting to this kind of new um racecraft is obviously difficult. And we've seen that not only in, you know, relatively young drivers, but also in more experienced drivers. I'm thinking another driver who, garnered quite the reputation for being you know, also both very offensive and very defensive is Andre Lotterer and of <laughs> course we're talking about a completely different generation I think Andre is 38 he, he has a completely different racing experience and especially in the very first stages of his formulary career he was having so many difficulties adapting to this kind of street racing so I, w- I would give a pass to De Vries for his maneuvers to be honest because I, I can understand the struggle uh
1: yes exactly and he, he was doing incredibly well as well um it- it- I-, I think he was running in fifth when uh, he had the drivetrain issue but uh yeah. re- really Mercedes showing an awful lot of pace um also showing pace uh um, was uh, Robin Fiennes and Envision Virgin Racing. I, I think um, I, I said yesterday uh, on the podcast I did with Toby Bloom that uh, I, I felt that Sam Bird was driving above the Envision Virgin, but uh, today both cars were uh, on the pace and, um, you know, p- potentially could have got on the podium.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of strange to see the Audi Power train we say struggling when actually we're still talking about top 10 top five and podium positions but we're so used to to such an overpowered uh audi powertrain one of the best powertrains on the grid um and i think the envision virgin is actually doing better in these two races than what the the factory team is doing of course i think that we get a different impression from what samber does because I mean, his sheer experience in Formula is simply impressive, and um, you can't really compare it to what Robin Frans has done so far, although Robin is a proven race winner and uh, a podium contender most of the time. But yeah, I wouldn't say that Bird was really overdriving the the Envision Virgin, but definitely I I would say that Frans was lacking pace yesterday in the, the very little time he had on track anyway um and now he's kind of caught up with the with the track and with the car
1: a retro podium, and if you'd like to know more about Formula E when it began, then uh, my E Stories podcast is available uh, on this podcast channel, uh, and um, I've put together uh, interviews with various people who were there at the very first race in Beijing to tell the story of what it was like right at the start for Formula E and for its uh, spectators and media. So take a look at that. Anyway, Aurora, I thought we'd uh, take a uh, left turn now and talk about some other things. Uh, because uh, you said you had a topic which had been uh, gaining some discourse on Twitter. Do you want to talk us through that?
2: Yeah, actually, I've noticed some, I mean, honestly, I would boil it down to, you know, newcomers to Formula E trying to understand how this properly works. And I mean, it's always good news, to be honest, having more and more people uh, getting into electric racing. We can only be happy about it. But basically, what some people are lamenting is a lack of understanding in the um, structuring the activation zone during the attack mode. I mean, we've seen in, in these two races that many, many drivers actually missed their chance at the, um, the attack mode at the first time, at least. Uh, we've seen yesterday, Andre Losser, uh during the, the media rounds after the race, he said he could have challenged uh da costa for the win had he not missed the the attack mode the first time around um and honestly i think the visual cues that for maria has adopted which by the way i think they are absolutely cool like i adore them uh the the moving graphics super super fancy uh but i think that many people didn't actually get the idea behind that like it, it's a bit of a, a technical side to it you know but As the international feed was actually explaining, uh, there are sensors both fitted on the track itself and on the car, that determine whether uh, the activation zone has been crossed correctly. And I think that the general understanding from people who may not be, you know, that attached to the technical side of things is that, you know, um, tracing the trajectory correctly is enough to 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 activate the attack mode which really it isn't it, it, it isn't necessarily at least there are three sensors on the track that have to be um activated all together to make the attack mode actually work uh and i think that was a top job from antonio felix da costa i don't know if you've noticed like in the very final uh attack mode he armed and activated uh he barely even went into the, you know, the drawn trajectory that we see on the TV feed mm. and that drivers see on track as well. But he must have memorized to, you know, to the centimeter uh, where the sensors are fitted. And he's clearly exploiting that. So, again, another top job from Da Costa, really.
1: Well, and and um, it's it's another example of how DS to Cheetah uh, seemed to tactically just have that attention to detail on these things that other teams don't, because um, I, I think the majority of teams probably wouldn't even think to uh, memorise the exact position of the sensors. I don't know if that was uh, the strategists telling him to take a look on the, t- on, the, on the track walk, or if he made a special effort to do it himself, but either way, um, an incredibly clever innovation from somebody.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've, in this uh, lack of attention to details sometimes in uh, you know even bigger forms uh when i don't know for example we've seen in energy management that not all teams are as good as that i think that you know but I, i may be harsh in my judgment with this but by now i mean we're in season six uh we're well into the season we're almost finishing the season and having a driver two drivers or whatever not finishing the race because they ran out of power. I think, honestly, it's just beyond me. I can understand how difficult energy management is. And, you know, anything could happen during the race, really. But, you know, it happens just way too much for certain teams and certain drivers, don't you think? Uh,
1: well, yes. Um, I, I, I imagine you're probably alluding to Felipe Massa there. who yeah. um, um And um, it, it's, it's strange, really, how he came in with such a fanfare to Formula E. And... Uh, I, I i speak as something of a, of a venturi fanboy but he has been a disappointment in both of his two seasons unfortunately um and uh, it's just again that lack of attention to detail um uh, I, I i remember um as a formula one driver he used to be very hot on this kind of thing and um i i guess it just goes to show how formula e is a completely completely different set of skills you have to learn isn't it
2: yeah absolutely i mean we've seen many very experienced drivers struggling when they first come in Formula E and not really finding their pace.
1: Everyone deserves a right of reply and this is what Felipe Massa said in answer to my question in the press conference after we recorded that bit. And uh, this next question, uh, Felipe, is for you from Stuart, uh, from Motion E. Uh, You ran out of energy before the end of the race. Uh, Did the team assume the race would be a lap shorter and uh, why did that happen?
0: No, actually, we had a problem today. uh, So I I, I was under-consuming uh, the first maybe ten laps in a good way maybe I was a car that managed to underconsume even more compared to the others I was trying to go slow trying to underconsume, and then uh, I start to 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 get and to find the to start to push more and I find the pace I was passing cars I was doing actually a good pace and a good race into the second safe the the safety car you know the, the on the second time that it was uh, yellow uh, for a bit longer and actually always when we have these uh uh, full course yellow, uh, we really need to reduce uh, and change al- al- so many settings for the, en- for the, for the energy. And uh, I changed, I did uh, everything that my engineer said. Unfortunately, some things went wrong on the settings. I changed the laps, I had 38 laps, which was two laps less than what was supposed to be at the beginning of the race. So, and then I start to do, following my, my numbers, what I supposed to do to, to follow. And uh, maybe 10, even the 10 laps ago, go, my engineer said, See, something is not really correct because you, are, you have 1% less energy than the others. I said, it's impossible because I'm following the, uh, the numbers in the right way. And then, then he said, how much uh, is, your, is your target? I said, my target is, let's say, on that time, 133. And I'm following, I'm doing even 132. And uh, he said, uh, so, and, and how many laps you have? I said, 38. How many laps you are? I said, I uh, nine to nine to go. Nine to go. Said it's correct. It's nothing wrong. I said, okay, I keep pushing. So I then I did that uh, in the last time, uh, ten laps. On the five laps, he said, uh, you are uh, under two uh, percent. You know than the others, even maybe three. I don't know. And uh, and then I, I pass again the numbers, everything to him, and everything was correct. So we we thought it was something wrong with the television or whatever. You know, so. And and then at the end uh, uh, it was it was some wrong calculations on the numbers and I and I have instead of uh, 50 I had 51 and I was following 51 instead of 50 uh, by these uh, wrong calculations that uh, it happens on the safety car and on the Fucorcelo so that was m- my problem because the race was going well and the, the pace was okay the car. Uh, feels, felt okay during the whole part of the race, and then for sure the last part I was using more because I was following the wrong number, that uh, we had uh, some some problems on the system that I didn't change what is supposed to be changed.
2: I mean, myself, I am more of a GT kind of girl, an endurance kind of girl, I actually curate the endurance and GT division for my website, and so of course, when James Calado was announced for Jaguar in Formula E, you can imagine, I was absolutely stoked. Uh, because, I mean, he has quite the reputation in endurance racing as a two-time Le Mans winner. Mm. Uh, but still, he really struggles in Jaguar. And it shows when compared to Mitch Evans, which is actually younger than him, but of course has a lot more experience in Formula E. And he just is really struggling to find its own pace. And I mean you can't say he is not a fast guy. I know that many Formulary um many of people on the Formulary audience didn't actually know about James because honestly I think I'm kind of an oddball uh, curating both <laughs> endurance and GT racing and formulary because they are two completely different styles of racing. So many people really didn't know who James was. Uh but yeah when I when he, he came in I at so high expectation and they haven't been met, to be honest. Again, I don't blame him. It's just that Formula e is another planet. Uh,
1: absolutely. And, uh, well, speaking about James Collardo for a second, Mitch Evans speaks very highly of uh, the the ideas that he's brought to the team and the feedback he's brought. But but he also said when I spoke to him that uh, um, as a rookie, it's very, very difficult to actually um, bring anything to the table because you're constantly learning systems that everyone else knows off by heart. And uh, I, I think that's just what we found. Um, but uh, yeah, Collardo, as you say, uh, a very good GT driver. You will know much better than me. Uh, but uh, I believe he's been there for each of the last six years driving that ferrari hasn't he um and uh done very well
2: yeah absolutely i mean what you're telling me that uh evans actually told you fits perfectly within james character as you can imagine i know him myself um from you know endurance and gt competitions and he's constantly, constantly putting feedback for Ferrari, especially. Like, he he can almost be a nuisance to, to th- teams where he goes to because he always has suggestions and feedback. And I, I, it's really not that hard to believe that he tried and do uh, the same in Jaguar. But then again, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that his input was highly appreciated. Again, a driver of his experience. He can do very well wherever he goes. But... I mean, it was just a combination of factors, really. First of all, being his first season, and then, of course, the pandemic. I mean, the idea for James, as far as uh, the media knows, is that he had um, actually a one-year contract with with an option for a second year, because the idea was... Having him be the rookie for the first year and then giving the serious input and the serious drives in the second year. But, you know, the pandemic hit and basically what happened is that you would have a second year rookie, which is something that Jaguar clearly could not afford. And I think it really showed in their preference for Sam Bird.
1: Yeah, um, and uh, I, I think I think Collado was uh, thrown what we call in England a bit of a hospital pass in terms of uh, um, being asked to become Mitch Evans' teammate at Jaguar um, on on a one year contract because uh, um, th- I think if he joined another team where there was a slower teammate he would have looked a lot better. But uh, Mitch Evans has always been one of the front runners uh, pretty much ever since Jaguar really got their act together. Um, the other thing is uh, Sa- Sam Bird coming into that team. I think Sam will have a really difficult job to keep up with Mitch as well because uh, he's just going to find that this is the first time he's been to a different environment in so many years it's going to be difficult isn't it
2: yeah absolutely and I mean not that Sam didn't have challenging teammates himself of course like we all know the people who were at Sam's side during the the Virgin years but yeah as you were saying like he's basically going into enemy territory and of course it's his new team but it will take it will take a while to get used to that and yeah. Um, also, yeah, it's. I think it's also like two very different approaches to formulary. E. I think that uh, Samson Mitch's driving styles and you know approach to racing in general isn't that similar. So that will also be interesting to see
1: yeah could, could be could be some ds to cheetah style tensions coming up at jaguar racing maybe um and I, I wanted to close off by talking about something which i'm writing a comment piece on right now which is uh formula e's positively charged campaign now um if you want to check out the campaign on youtube you can do i'm not going to go into the uh where's and why of it too much but essentially uh, it is a campaign to challenge all forms of discrimination and also uh, to um, commemorate the people who um, um, are suffering uh, economically or physically or in health terms because of the coronavirus. Uh, and there are many other issues under that big tent as well. Now, uh, before we begin um, our takedown of this, I've got to say full respect to Formula E for paying tribute to their former um, their former employee who died uh, during the shutdown, uh, fully respect that and fully respect them getting uh, in on anti-racism as well although slightly late Uh, but I would say the main problem from my point of view is that um, we've been educated or at least I've been educated to understand that it's not enough to say there is discrimination everywhere you need to focus on the specific discrimination people are suffering from now and that is uh, pretty much at the moment what Black Lives Matter are focusing on but for some reason, it's not OK for the motor manufacturers to get behind Black Lives Matter. So we end up with this campaign, which to me, I don't know how you feel about it, Rovi, you can tell us, but seems a lot like an all lives matter campaign. What do you think?
2: Yeah, to be honest, I mean, again, as you were saying, I find the, the, the sheer idea of having a campaign for this commendable. But to be honest, I may be blunt in my judgment, but I think that the positives pretty much end there. Uh, What we've seen so far is simply not enough, in my opinion, uh, when compared to anything else that's going around in the world. Um, It may not be a fair comparison, but we've seen in other sports uh, outside of motor racing that so much has been done and is being done, even in, you know, again, in motor racing, racing, but in environments which were even more hostile than Formula One or Formula E. Um, usually are, like for example NASCAR, I mean it, it is a motoring sport that has basically been born into confederate territories and yet the stances that this sport is taking um, for the Black Lives Matter movement are much much bigger than what Formula One and Formula E are doing and partially I think that uh, we Europeans have a very different approach to the issue because You know it seems so far in our past i mean of course europe has had a colonial past but it seems you know ages ages ago in in america the wound is pretty much still open but i don't think that this is enough reason to justify uh, a lack of awareness coming from european people and european championships in this regard. And I mean, again, to be honest, like having a single campaign and a single hashtag and grouping all together, uh, I don't know, COVID relief, uh, NHS support, Black Lives Matter. I mean, they are all very serious issues that really do deserve their own spaces. So it's, it's commendable that we're thinking about them, but it's simply not enough having 30 seconds of silence for all of them. Like, how is that supposed to do anything?
1: Yeah, and uh, my my other concern is that uh, what we what we're doing is taking attention away from movements. (coughs) Excuse me, movements that are already set up to um to to cover these things. So, what Formula E could be doing if it really wanted to uh, raise awareness for great causes is it could, for example, uh, have a a different charity or cause supported um, after every race. You know, save the children, uh, Greenpeace, uh, Black Lives Matter, whatever, and it could run of VT about that campaign and really really raise awareness for it now um It's speculation why they haven't done this. Uh, I would posit that possibly they haven't done it because uh, Formula E and Extreme E as well, as it's going to Bolsonaro's Brazil, has to go to a lot of places which maybe don't consider this discrimination to be a huge issue and or would not support Black Lives Matter um, or uh, environmental uh, bodies. Um, I know Brazil doesn't have a Formula E race, so it's somewhat irrelevant to this conversation, but uh, um, electric racing is Coming to Brazil um, under the same uh, umbrella body, and um, you know, the president of Brazil uh, is um, covertly um, acting against the interests of uh, native people in the Amazon rainforest, so uh, and blaming NGOs for uh, much of the action taking place there. So, there's all of these issues, and you can kind of see why um, a sporting body um dealing with so many conservative governments, uh, I mean Saudi Arabia as well being an example um, may wish to uh, pull back from supporting the causes that we would like it to support.
2: Yeah, I mean I can perfectly understand the point and you know I see the difficulties in this. The problem I think is in the way formulary markets, itself like to be honest i wouldn't have any issues with formulary e being silent i mean i'm lying if i say i wouldn't have any issues but i would definitely have less issues if formulary e didn't constantly market itself as the progressive the looking to the future the uh, non-conforming category in motorsport like if this is the image you want to sell you have to sell it comprehensively it cannot just be about the environment and again to be be honest i've i've done many editorials um criticizing for marie because i don't think they are doing as much for the environment as they claim of mm. course it's very important what they're doing but y- you know they just don't always follow their words with actions and this is not something i easily accept um but yeah again you have to have a comprehensive approach towards uh progress. You know, if you decide to be the, the anti-establishment, let's say, that uh, category in motorsport, then you cannot just back up on something like that. And again, the problem, and I've seen also some um, discourse on Twitter regarding um, some, I don't think, sta- they were statements to the Italian press by Charles Leclerc, which were apparently taken out of context. And basically, the idea in motorsport and also in the general public is that these type of movements, Black Lives Matter and, you know, all movements against... Uh, discrimination towards black people and racism are somewhat political and I fail to see that to be honest I've never seen uh, the topic of discrimination be for gender sexual orientation uh, race or whatever as something political I think it's inherently regarding human rights so it really shouldn't be as controversial but I guess we're not there yet as a society
1: Well, um, I I would just um, I would just argue against one point that you made, which is uh, you you said Formula E constantly promotes itself as being nonconformist. I would argue it constantly promotes itself as being um, a uh, tech disruptor, but uh, in in roughly the same way that Elon Musk is a tech disruptor and yet he takes very right wing views on uh, on political and social issues. I'd argue that Formula E is actually, uh, that since maybe its first couple of seasons when it didn't have as much of a dog in the fight, and so could afford to take a non-conformist stance. You know, Formula E has been pretty conservative uh, in um, on social and political issues over the last few years, hasn't it? Really.
2: Yeah, I mean, I also see your point, also because I'm not saying any new here really. If we follow any of the drivers on social media, we can see also most of the drivers in Formula E tend to express kind of conservative views, especially the the Brazilian drivers. I mean, again, it's kind of what you expect them to do, considering the the kind of government they're actually having in Brazil right now. So, yeah, again, I can understand it's a pretty difficult balance uh, to strike. I mean, it's very difficult to get anyone behind these kind of ideas because they are perceived as controversial. Uh, The point... I would hope uh, is to be made in the future is that these kinds of ideas are not really controversial at all and again I, I really can't say how kneeling can be considered something controversial and how you know it's it's kind of, kind of weird and kind of a twisted logic to consider that not kneeling is not political but kneeling suddenly becomes political like you're still taking a political stance deciding not to kneel so I think there's really some sort of twisted logic in there but again it's not something that Formula E can solve from day to night uh, or anybody else really.
1: Well yeah and um, actually maybe Formula E uh, to an extent by having a campaign where the idea is to stand and hold your phone up or something is trying to circumvent the need to have the debate over whether to kneel or not do you think?
2: Yeah definitely I mean it's kind of, you know, finding the easy way out in a in a certain sense. But again, it's also understandable because of the points you made earlier. Formula E is still a business and still needs some kind of ties to survive. And as long as they race in Saudi Arabia, for example, or they take on certain sponsors, it's very difficult to do much more. But I would seriously hope that the situation changes in the future.
1: Well, yeah, and um, I I think um, if if this is the best that the motor industry can get behind, then it's almost better not to say anything at all. Um, I um, I I disliked intensely Formula E's silence uh, in the weeks after the death of George Floyd, uh, when even Formula One drivers, uh, that most establishment and most conservative of sports, uh, largely came out and um, in favour of Black Lives Matter. Of course, many of them have rescinded that. Support since, Um, but Formula E's teams and drivers, um, I think, completely stayed silent. Apologies if anyone did say anything during that time.
2: Yeah, I think I've seen a couple of social media posts, you know, that uh, black square of whatever that was posted on Instagram everywhere. Blackout Tuesday from Formula E drivers, but it was very limited and not at all cohesive. You know, I think that the main issue is that I, I wouldn't give credit to Formula One for this, to be honest. I would simply say that Formula E lacks their own Lewis Hamilton. Because to be honest, I firmly believe that if Lewis Hamilton didn't say anything uh, on the matter at all, I, I wouldn't, I don't think that Formula One would have taken such you know, a precise stance on the topic either. It's just that Lewis Hamilton has such a big influence into and out of the sports that once he came out and started denouncing the silence, it it was impossible to, to remain silent. And for Marie, lacks that.
1: All right. Um, Aurora, thank you very much. I believe that uh, you've agreed to come back on uh, another Berlin watch later on in this uh, mini-series of races. So uh, hopefully we'll we'll see you again. Um, And um, yeah, thank you very much. If you head on over to motione.org, there's a brand new interview there with Mitch Evans and also there's plenty of other content to keep you going as well, both there and also on your favourite podcast player where you can find e-talking formula e and electric vehicles simply smash that subscribe button and there'll be plenty more content from berlin watch and from the regular podcasts and if that's not enough head on over to patreon because you can join with motion e for as little as one dollar a month for an exclusive weekly newsletter and exclusive content including full audio from interviews berlin watch will be back on saturday after the next race